Psalm 78, stand with me please if you found that place. Psalm 78. This psalm talks about uh, the deliverances of God, Israel out of Egypt. And uh, they're traveling through the wilderness and into the promised land. The things that happened to them in the wilderness. And I'd like to pick up the reading in verse 32. For all this they sin still, and believe not for his wondrous works. Therefore their days did he consume in vanity, and their years in trouble. When he slew them, then they sought him. And they returned and inquired early after God. And they remembered that God was their rock, and the high God their Redeemer. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity, and destroyed them not. Yet many a time turned he his anger away, and did not stir up all his wrath. But he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away, and cometh not again. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness, and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. I, I want to speak on limited, limiting God. The Bible said they tempted God and they limited the Holy One of Israel. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Word of God. For another opportunity to preach your Word. And Lord, I need you tonight. I pray you'd help me. To be a blessing, to be an encouragement and help to the people of God tonight. You know every heart, you know every need. I pray you'd help me to say exactly what needs to be said. Uh, that you may get honor. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Uh, well, uh, the Bible says that they limited God. You know, reading this, we think about uh, the sovereignty of God. Can God be limited? Well, the Bible says here they limited the Holy One of Israel. Uh, I believe that Israel could have gone into Canaan land 38 years before they went in. You remember they sent the spies in uh, there at Kadesh Barnea, and 10 of the spies came back with an evil report, and they said the land's just like God said it was. It's a land flowing of milk and honey. And I used to read that, and I, I thought, well, that's kind of strange. It was the milk running down the hills and honey running down the hills. But <coughs> excuse me. But I think uh, what he's talking about is that the grass is green, there's good water and plenty of flowers, and the bees can make plenty of honey, and the cows produce a lot of milk, and, and it was a great land. They brought, you remember, they brought back the bunch of grapes uh, on a pole between two men on their shoulders. Uh, and I've got a couple of grapevines, and there's a few little scroungy grapes on them. But uh, uh, those were the grapes of Canaan. And, uh, but they said, there's giants up there. It's a good land. We can't take that land. Well, they couldn't, but they forgot who had brought them that far, hadn't they? You know, it's amazing. I, I was talking to someone recently, and, and when God opened that Red Sea, 
I think it was Thursday night, I was, I was witnessing this couple, and uh, when God opened that up, you'd think that would have had such an impact that they've never been able to get over that. I mean, that was, can you imagine that? Those, those walls of water on each side and how God performed that great miracle. But you know, it wasn't, but it wasn't a matter of months or years. It was days, just days after that. Evidently, they had, they had forgot all about what God had done. And they said, Moses, you brought us out here in the wilderness to die. We're going to, we're going to die of thirst. There's no water to drink. It's all your fault. <laughs> Listen, if God could open that Red Sea, you'd think they would have had enough faith and said, God, open that Red Sea. He can do anything. We're not worried. God's going to take care of us. And the Lord did and brought waters. They, they, Moses struck the rock and the water came gushing out. And then they grumbled because there wasn't any, any food. And the Lord rained angels' food down, rain, gave them the manna to eat. Uh, and God did all these wonderful things for them, but they come up to Kadesh Barnea and they says, we cannot take the land. Uh, Brother Woodbury read there this morning in Mount Sinai and the, the great presence and manifestation of the glory of God, God speaking to the nation. Uh, and and they, they saw the, all that accompanied the giving of the Ten Commandments uh, there, and yet uh, uh, they says, we can't take it. And they, they said, let's make us a king and go back to Egypt. At least we had some leeks and cucumbers there and garlic. What a diet. <laughs> How'd you like to live on that? <laughs> Well, it's probably talking about the spicy food, but uh, they, they limited God. And uh, I'm afraid that many times we limit God, and I want to look at some things tonight, that as Israel limited what God was able and what God wanted to do in their life, they limited what the Lord could do. And I, I believe when we get to heaven, we'll, we'll realize what God wanted to do in our life. You know, our desire ought to be like the Apostle Paul. I've fought a good fight. I've uh, fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. Uh, what a way to live. Live your life when you come to the end of the journey. Say, I have no regrets. I've done everything God wanted me to do. And I've been faithful in doing it. Well, uh, we limit God. And as you get older, I, I don't know where you think about it, I do. I, I, I try to evaluate life and wonder, you know, uh, sometimes if, if, if I could have done more and accomplished more for God and how I may have limited what God wanted to do with me. How do we limit God? We limit God by inconsistent Christian living. Now, if you don't live for God, God cannot use you. Uh, you may be saved, but you cannot be used of God to any extent if your life is inconsistent. Many people, they're just up and down, up and down, in and out, never consistent. Be consistent. Be faithful. You may, not, you may be like me, you know, I can't carry a tune in a sack huh, or anything else. So I just finally give up trying uh, I don't know whether that's right or not. Someone says, make a joyful noise, and 
I guess ought to be like Lester Olaf. Someone told him, said, Brother Olaf, you ought to just quit. You're a great preacher. Why don't you just quit trying to sing? He said, The Lord likes my singing fine. <laughs> and the Bible said, Singing to the Lord. Said, I'm singing to the Lord. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, we limit the Lord by inconsistent Christian living. Uh, the Bible said in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither is there heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, but he will not hear. Now, he said it's not the Lord's fault. If God's not using my life to the full extent, it's not the Lord's fault. It's my fault. The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. His ears not heavy that it cannot hear. But what did he say? Your iniquities, your sins, inconsistent Christian living will limit what God wants to do in a person's life. Now I realize we live in a day uh, when evidently I preached uh, a few weeks ago on the day of no shame. And, and I believe we're there. A day when, uh, when seemingly there's no shame. But I'll tell you, God, God tells us that iniquity limits. I believe what God may want to do in a person's life uh, and uh, we need to realize that Jeremiah 5 25 your iniquities have turned away these things and your sins have withholden good things from you now that's as clear as you can make it uh, he says that sin has withholden good things from you uh, sin will limit our usefulness for God as it limited, it limited Israel. And we see this truth, I believe, throughout the Bible. Not only inconsistent Christian living will limit God, but a lack of faith will limit God. A lack of faith. In Hebrews chapter 12, he, he gives that great admonition there. Uh, well, let's just turn there. I can quote that, but let me just turn it and make sure I get it this right. Uh, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 12. And, uh, you know, uh, verse 1 and 2, he says, wherefore, and someone says when you see wherefore or therefore, then ask the question, what is, what is it therefore? But I believe it connects it with chapter 11. I think that gives us some understanding. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now in, in, in Hebrews 11, you have the great roll call of faith. And he gives that, seeing wherefore, seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And I think basically what he's talking about is those of chapter 11, those people of faith. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. What is that sin? I believe it's a lack of faith. A lack of faith will limit God and limit the good things God wants to send their way. The book of James says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, but let him ask in faith, 
nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. The sin that does so easily beset us is a lack of faith. The Bible says in Matthew 13, let's just turn there for a little bit. Matthew 13. We have an example of this. Matthew 13. Talks about his going back there to, uh, uh, to uh, Nazareth. If, I'm, if I can find the right place here, I must be in the... Uh, I'm in Mark. That's the reason I guess. I started to say it's not even 58 verses <laughs> In that chapter. Matthew, here we are. Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 53. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. When he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? Now that does away with the false teaching of the perpetual virginity of Mary, of the Virgin Mary. Mary and Joseph had other children by the normal means here, and they're identified. And he says, uh, but they were offended in him. And Jesus, but Jesus said unto them, a prophet, He's not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now there you have it. Could the Lord perform, could he have performed the miracles? Yes. He was God. He could do anything. But the Bible said he didn't do many mighty works because of their unbelief. They limited God, right? By their unbelief or their lack of faith. Now, you say, why is this matter of faith such a big thing? Well, uh, you know, it's a matter of, of the integrity of God himself. Can God be trusted? Will God do what he said he would do? Will God keep what he wrote down? Will he be true to his written word? Now, man will lie. And Brother Woodbury brought that out, that we come into the world speaking lies, and we're all a bunch of liars in one way or another. But uh, Jesus Christ, the Bible said it's impossible for God to lie. Now, if God promises something, and I don't believe that, what am I saying? I'm saying, Lord, you can't be trusted. You're nothing but a liar, really. In fact, First John says... Uh, uh, when a person says they're without sin, they accuse God of being a liar, First John 1. And we know that's impossible. But a lack of faith limits God. So they limited the Lord because of unbelief. Uh, Hebrews 3.19 says, We see that they cannot enter in because of unbelief. They didn't enter into the land of Canaan because of their unbelief, as we already pointed out. Now, turn to Matthew 17. If you're still in Matthew there, just turn a couple of pages over. And we have Jesus there, you remember, going up to the, uh, to the uh, uh, Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, this is kind of 
uh, running a rabbit trail, but since I'm here, I'll just point this out. Some of you are aware of this, but in, in verse 28 of chapter 16 of Matthew, Verily I say unto you, There be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now what in the world is he talking about there? He said, Some of you are not going to die. Any of you seen Peter, James, or John, any of them fellows walking around? Bible said, some of you are not going to die until you see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Right? King James Bible is what it says right there. Verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, the brother, and his brother, and bringing them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. His face did shine as the sun. His raiment was white as the light. And there's Moses, Elijah, talks with him. Now he says he waits six days. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3 that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. From the creation of Adam to the coming of Christ, it was approximately 4,000 years, give or take three or four years, depending on whose chronology you study. That's four days, right? Or as four days. And here we are in 1998 by air calendar. You got a seven-year tribulation. About any way you figure it, we're about, uh, we've about finished 6,000 years, wouldn't you say? And how long is the kingdom going to last? A thousand years, corresponding six days of creation, seventh day the Lord rested. And notice this in this interested, after six days, he said, some of you are not going to die until you see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom, and He waits six days. You think the Lord's trying to teach them something? Why didn't He go in five or three or eight? I don't think anything's in the Bible by mistake. I think this is there purposely, and it's for our benefit. This is a great prophetic truth, and I believe the transfiguration scene is a picture of the coming kingdom when Jesus Christ will rule and reign over this earth. That's why I believe the rapture could happen tonight. Now, I don't know the time, but the Lord's got it down, and he'll be here right on schedule. He won't be late. He won't be early. He'll be right on time. Galatians says, when the fullness, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son. When the time was come, when the time was right, Jesus came the first time right on time. And I've, we've, we've studied the book of Daniel there, chapter 9. And if you study that out, that prophecy was given. 400, there's 490 years prophesied there. 483 years from the giving forth the commandment in Nehemiah 2, 1, I believe it is, to rebuild Jerusalem by Artaxerxes. It was 483 years to the coming of Christ when he offered himself as king of Israel. It was 483 years to the very day. Isn't that amazing? And uh, there's a seven-year tribulation to go, fulfilling that prophecy of Daniel chapter 9, fulfilling the 490 years. Well, how to get off on all that? Any, anyway, I guess we need to be reminded of that. But uh, the, the, the transfiguration is a picture of the coming kingdom and the Lord takes Peter, James, and John up there and is transfigured before him. Now, while he's up there, 
the disciples are down, uh, down, the rest of the disciples are down there. And let's look at verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed, and oft times he falls into the fire and off into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. Now there it is. For verily I say unto you, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place. It shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. How be it? This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. What was the problem? Verse 20, Because of your unbelief, a lack of faith, Limits God, right? We have an example here. Their lack of faith limited what God was willing to do in this particular instance. And I realize some of the modern day healers, they always blame uh, a lack of faith. Uh, you know, they always blame the person, well, if you don't get healed, it's your fault. Not necessarily. Uh, James talks about it's the faith of the one doing the praying in that particular instance anyway. But a lack of faith does limit God. It's just like getting saved. Uh, for by grace are you saved through faith, right? Ephesians 2.8. Where do you get faith? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10.17. So that's where you get faith. But you can't be saved without faith. Will faith limit a person getting saved? Sure, a person doesn't believe. And I'm afraid many people, in fact, we talked to a person Thursday night. This particular individual has prayed, and he said, I've prayed and prayed and prayed to be saved. And he still don't know where he's saved or not. And I think that's one of the problems. I think when he prays, he don't believe he's going to get saved. And consequently, you don't get saved. But I, I, I think I really learned, uh, we've been witnessing to him, talking to him some time, and I think I, I think I really got to the bottom of it Thursday night, or the Lord did. I think the thing that, that really has kept him from the Lord is any time you try to add works to the grace of God, God will not accept you on those terms. I believe a person has to come as a lost sinner and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone as their hope of heaven. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do that, I believe God does the rest. But if I come to the Lord and I'm trusting my baptism or my church membership or my good life or, or whatever you might add to, uh, then I believe that prevents a person from being saved. So anyway, a lack of faith, inconsistent Christian living, will limit God. A lack of faith, and I'm a, these are primarily speaking to saved people, a lack of faith will limit God. And then, not only that, but thirdly, a lack of prayer will limit God. Look at James 4. James 4. A lack of prayer. Now this is quite a reproof uh, to you and I as Christians. James chapter 4. Verse 1, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts, the war in your members? 
Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, ye cannot obtain. Ye fight and war. Now that's a lot of effort, isn't it? Lusting, killing, desiring to have, fighting, warring. Yet you have not, because you ask not. God said, all you had to do is ask me. And then he says, you ask and receive not because you ask to miss that you may consume it upon your lust. I have a message I preach on prayer and how to pray and how to get your prayers answered every time. Would you like to get your prayers answered every time you pray? I think it'd shock most of us if that happened. But I believe it's possible. You say, sometimes God says no. Yes, he does. But if he says no, I prayed wrong, right? I must have. Matthew says, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone, everyone that asketh, receive it. And he says here, You have not because you ask not. Then he says, Yes, and receive not because God says, I say no. You ask and I say no. Basically, that's what he's saying. You don't receive because you ask to miss that you may consume it upon your lust. And uh, without trying to preach that message tonight, uh, we pray in the will of God, 1 John 5, 14 and 15, I think it is. We pray in Jesus' name, John 14. And we pray in faith, believing. If you do that, you get your prayers answered. But a lack of prayer limits God. Turn to Luke 18, please. Luke 18. Luke 18. Verse 9, Luke 18, verse 9. Page 1101, Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke 18, 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a publican. Quite a contrast. Pharisee, very religious, educated, knew the law, uh, separated, somewhat anyway. Here's the publican. He's the opposite. Here's the old wretched, good-for-nothing scoundrel. Here's the sinner. But they go, both go to pray. Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. And he looks over, or even as this publican. <laughs> I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, this is a pretty good fellow. He brags about what he isn't. And he brags about uh, what, he, what he is and what he did. Now, doing something would save you. This man all, certainly ought to have been saved, shouldn't he? If you, if, you, if you do something for it. I mean, he, 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 he lives right, evidently. Uh, the Lord doesn't say these things are untrue. Uh, he said, uh, I'm, not, I'm not unjust. I'm not an extortioner. I'm honest. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not like this fellow. And he said, I fast, I tithe. Pretty good fellow. Being a pretty good fellow don't get the job done. Jesus says you have to be born again to get to heaven. Now notice the contrast. The publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, what does he have to offer? Nothing. 
Brother Woodbury brought out clearly this morning, if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you're guilty of all. In Romans 3 there, he, I don't think he brought this out, where he says in verse 22, For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now that's not very flattering, but that's what the book says. And here's a man that has nothing to bring. He hadn't, done any, he, hadn't done, he hadn't done what he's supposed to do, and he's done what he shouldn't have done. He's the exact opposite of the, of the Pharisee. Uh, and uh, I think John Rice uh, may, may be out there in that wreck, one of them little booklets. Uh, the title of it is, if I can remember it, a, a, a Good Man Lost and a Bad Man Saved, based on this scripture. Here's a good man lost and going to hell. And here's a bad man, knows he's going to hell, gets saved. And that's the only kind of people that ever get saved, isn't it? Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Aren't you glad that if you're willing to meet that condition, you can get saved? The reason the world's going to hell is, is uh, uh, you know, they, they, they try to justify themselves. They're like the Pharisee. They, well, I'm not as bad as other people. What's that got to do with it? Well, Brother Carl pointed out we are, you know, in the sight of God anyway. Uh, outwardly, outwardly as far as the flesh we may not be, but in, 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 inwardly we're all in the same boat. And I don't believe anyone ever gets saved until they take their place as a lost sinner and say, God, the only thing I can do is trust you. I have nothing to offer. And when you meet that condition, God will save you. I believe that. But a lack of prayer. Now this man uh, prayed properly and as a sinner and God saved. The Bible says in Luke 18, 1, men ought always to pray and not to faint. James 5, 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And he used the example of Elijah Bible said he was a man, he was a man of like passions. He was just like us. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. You think of one man shut the heavens. One man's prayer. Does God pay attention to prayer? One individual? Well, we have plenty of examples in the Bible. And he, he gives that example encouraging us to pray. Let me move on to my final point. Not only does a lack of prayer limit God, but a stubborn will, a stubborn will limits God. Matthew 26, 39, Jesus prayed, Not as I will, but as thy will. And in Psalm 48, he said, I delight to do thy will, O my God. He's their perfect example. But you know, sometimes we're stubborn, aren't we? We want our way. And uh, Brother Hickox was referring to that scripture in Matthew 23, 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. In Luke he says he wept over the city. Now there are those who believe that uh, that uh, 
they carry the sovereignty of God, I think, to the extreme, and they believe that certain ones are predestined to heaven and certain ones are predestined to hell, and if you happen to be in the group predestined to heaven, you're going to get saved regardless. And if you just happen to be in the group that is predestined to hell, uh, no matter how much you want to get saved, you can't get saved. I don't believe that. I don't believe that for, because of this scripture and other scriptures as well. Jesus said, I would, but you would not. How do you explain that if a person doesn't have a will? The Bible says he'd have all men to be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 1 Timothy 2 and uh, 2 Peter 3, I believe those scriptures are located. And uh, I was talking to a, uh, a uh, I believe he was a member of a Reformed uh, church of some sort. And when I was pastoring Maiden, his, uh, his daughter was a member of our church. And they came to visit from Nebraska, I believe. And... Uh, they were so burdened over, she was so burdened over her, her parents. and They came over to our house after service. They came to church and, and uh, I dealt with him. And uh, I gave him these scriptures. This was his response. He said, he'd have all men to be saved. He said, all the elect. I said, didn't say all the elect. Does it? <laughs> Who would have all men to be saved? What my Bible says. didn't say all the elect men. He's not willing that any should perish. didn't say any of the elect. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I don't believe there will be, I don't believe any man will be able to stand in the face of God and point their finger at God and say, I, I would have gotten saved if you'd have let me. I don't believe anybody would be able to do that, do you? I believe everybody will have to stand there and admit the reason they're lost is because they rejected the light. They rejected God's way. The Lord said, I would, but you would not. A stubborn will limits God. May God help us to be, have a tender heart and a tender spirit. Not be stubborn. I guess I have a stubborn streak by nature. And no one wants to be wrong, but uh, like Brother Woodbury is talking about having to go back and apologize to that uh, attendant there at the gas station. Uh, Stubborn will limits God. Always be willing to say, I was wrong. You know, that was wrong. Forgive me. And uh, if we'll do that, listen, we all, we all mess up. The difference is, and uh, the difference, I think, in a church or an individual, individual Christian, Everybody sins. And listen, don't use that as an excuse. That's, that's trying to justify things. Say, well, I know I'm not, I know I'm not perfect, and, uh, but everybody does wrong. And we use that carelessly, I think, sometimes. 
But the, the fact is that we do, of course, we all fail. The difference in a, in, a, in a person God uses or a church God uses is a people or an individual that's willing to say, I was wrong. I sinned. Forgive me. That's the difference. Or a person that says, I don't see anything wrong with it. <laughs> I mean, there's people done worse than that. Well, they may have. But I don't think that's the proper attitude. I think the proper attitude is, Lord, I have sinned. Forgive me. And I believe God will do that. Don't, don't be stubborn. A stubborn will. You know, children are, are uh, stubborn by nature, aren't they? And uh, <laughs> I've seen that manifested in my own children and other children over the years. Uh, you ever had a child cry and scream and take on until they lost their breath? And it's kind of scary, you know. They, they hold their breath and scares you. And <laughs> Boy, that old stubborn, mad, <laughs> and a stubborn will. God help us. Let's bow our heads, please.